As teachers, it's extremely nostalgic to have former students keep in touch and to get to see where life takes them, especially when they choose music as a career path. Do you keep in contact with your former teachers? I'm lucky in that I live and teach in the state not only that I grew up in, but where I obtained both my undergraduate and graduate degrees. My high school and graduate piano teachers, who live only an hour from me, now have dual roles as both teacher and colleague. We even sometimes run into each other at state conferences. While my first piano teacher also only lives an hour away and in the same location that was just five minutes from my childhood home, we had lost touch until I ran into her a couple of years ago. I wanted to bring something special to this 50th episode, so today I'm connecting with three of my five piano teachers. Unfortunately, I could not connect with my middle school teacher, whom I was with for just a couple of years, or the teacher I studied with at Huntington University during my undergraduate days. If anything, I hope this episode inspires you to reach out and find a way to reconnect with your former teachers, if even for a moment. If you're listening to this in real time, maybe consider dropping a Christmas card in the mail for an easy start. Enjoy! Welcome to the Piano Pantry Podcast, where together we live life as independent music teachers. I'm your host, Amy Chaplin. In this space, we talk about all things teacher life related, from organizing our studios to getting dinner on the table and all that comes between. You'll get loads of easily actionable tips on organizing and managing your studio while balancing life and home. first conversation I'm sharing with you today is with Barb Gruby, my first piano teacher. She has been teaching piano lessons in Fort Recovery, Ohio since 1984. Fort Recovery is just across the state line of Indiana where I lived, literally about a half of a mile from the state line. She recently retired from her job playing organ in church after 50 years but continues to teach a small handful of piano students from her home. Well, welcome to the Piano Pantry podcast, Barb. I can't tell you how excited I am. This is honestly a little bit surreal. Would you be able to start by telling the listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are today in your journey as a piano teacher? Well, I started when I was in the second grade with my teacher, Mrs. Sauer, and uh, I took lessons for probably seven, eight years. And my mom had another baby, the sixth or seventh in the family, and I was needed at home. <laughs> so and then uh, in my high school years, I played for the band, uh, the piano for the band, the swing band is what we called it. And then um, I took lessons from a lady in Greenville, Mrs. Franz, and she helped me with the chords and uh, putting things and improvising. And then uh, I didn't do too much when I was in college, but then Later on is when I started, okay, what can I do for a living here? Well, you don't make a living at it, but. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to. Right? <laughs> We're trying, but. And I thought, now I had people approach me and say, Barb, could you give piano lessons to my daughter? Or, or my daughter's playing in church. Could, could you do something to help her out? And so that's kind of where it started. And I started in 1984, and I'm still teaching today. 
Wow. <laughs> so you're a piano teacher growing up. Did you take lessons from a local teacher yourself? Yes. Or? Yes. Okay. And did you grow up in this same area? Yes. Okay. I've always lived in Fort Recovery all my life. Okay. And did you have multiple teachers growing up? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. I had, uh, well, my first one, Mrs. Sauer, and then a Mrs. Franz, and then I had Becky Kurgan. I don't know if you've heard I don't her. Think so. I've, yeah. She helped me, and then uh, one of my son's school classmates. <laughs> I worked with her for a while. So, yes, and everybody gave me something more to add. Right. Every so. teacher adds new things to our to our mix. Yes. Now, you mentioned going to college. Did you go to school for music, or what was no. your background there? No. I went at, to be, uh, I went to, to Miami Jacobs okay. in Dayton, and uh, it was a just a nine-month course uh, for bookkeeping. And that has helped me here because I not only played the piano in church or played the organ in church, I also worked at church in the office. So, and that helped my accounting background that way. So <laughs> that's that was the extent of my college. So you play organ as well. Mm -hmm. And I know you told me you have you just recently retired from 50 years of playing organ at your church, which mm -hmm. congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Did you learn? Did you teach yourself to play the organ, or did your teachers teach you organ alongside piano? Well, my uh, piano teacher, my first piano teacher, also taught me organ. Okay. And at that time, what you did was you read the notes. Mm -hmm. You don't use chords like the kids like to use today. So um, she helped me, and then the uh, uh, my aunt helped me also. Her name was Margie Vogel. So I just kind of picked up from here and there, and then. Started playing at church. and I so. think you taught me a little bit of organ as well, now that we're talking about this. Because, I mean, I, I remember learning a little organ in elementary school because my grandma was an organist. Mm -hmm. And our church had an organ, which I played it a little bit, but I never really took off with it. Do you remember? Did I take some organ lessons I think you? you did, Amy. Okay. Uh, because the organ that I had here in my house was the same as the organ you had in your church. Okay. So you could kind of... Easily practice, practice on Practice on it, yes. Right, right. Wow, I had forgotten about that until just this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your studio over the years. So, I mean, I was with you in the 80s. How has your, your teaching and your studio changed and grown and developed and, you know, just evolved since you first opened your doors as a piano teacher? Well, not a whole lot has changed. I've got a better piano, but I think you you played on this piano. I started out with a little spinet, and then alongside of it, I had an upright piano. And then to make room for the organ, I had to take the upright out. So it, it's basically pretty much kind of the way it was. And you said this is a story in Clark. Yes. Right, so this is the one that you said that I played off when I was with you. Yes, and if I started lessons when I was seven, I would have started with you when I was, I think it was seven, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure I took lessons all the way through elementary school with you. Mm -hmm. Um, so it would have been through the early 90s, I guess, like maybe through 92, 93, something like that, probably. Um, and then this is something I will always remember about you just that you were like you had the foresight then to, to say to my mom. <laughs> I know. It's time to, to go on to another teacher. And I, like, as a teacher now, I look back and I, like, think so highly of you because it's hard to do that. 
And I think a lot of teachers don't don't do that or just don't know how to do that or, mm-hmm. you know, think that they have to hold on to every student that they possibly can. And Well, I knew your ambitions and your the way you played was getting beyond me. Yeah. And I had to let you go, even mm-hmm. though I did not want to. I know, because we want to hold on to those students, right? I know. <laughs> those are the ones I can sit back and go, oh, all of my work is paid off. Well, your work too, yeah. but yeah, so... No, I had to let you go, and I sh- shed some tears. Yeah, on that. So. Yeah, and I, I've done so recently myself. Like, I, not often, but sometimes you just know when it's right for a student. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I had a student a few years ago that um, she just really and intensely loves jazz music, and she wants to, you know to develop her skills in jazz improvisation. And you know, when I got her to about the intermediate level of playing, I just didn't feel like I was the right teacher that could give her that next level of what she wanted. And mm-hmm. so. You know, I found a jazz teacher in Fort Wayne and, you know, contacted them and said, hey, would you be willing to take her? Mm-hmm. I just know that what the student needs is not something I can give. And mm-hmm. I think it's good as teachers to to know what your strengths are and to know, like, when it's time to let go. So speaking mm-hmm. of letting go, I think I asked you when we first talked on the phone, if you remembered the name of the person that you sent me to. And it no, was a person in Salina, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you said you didn't you didn't remember, right? I don't never... remember. No, okay, no. so I was driving here with my parents. <laughs> Done before recovery, and my mom said, "Your dad remembers the name." <gasps> Who does? I was like, okay. "You're kidding!" I would have never expected dad to remember because he never took me to lessons. Mom, right? Mom, he said the last name was Zimmerman, and I remember her name was Amy because my name is Amy. Amy Zimmerman. Amy Zimmerman. Yes. yes. Now I was only with her for maybe two or three years, I think. Um, through middle school before I then went on to Kathy Gryle um, in Muncie, who is going to be in the next interview um, for my high school studies. But what I remember is her mom was a piano teacher and she had a full studio and mm-hmm. she couldn't take me. So she basically gave me to her daughter <laughs> and she, her daughter was a cheerleader in high school and she was getting ready to go to college. And she also helped me with my cheerleading as well. Oh! I was trying out for like sixth and seventh grade cheerleading and I would go to their house and do piano lessons and have a little lesson on cheerleading, which I never made it unfortunately, but I was the manager because I was organized. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Anyway, well, so. you can't, and I've noticed with the students of today, they have other interests. They don't want to just stick to the piano because it's just them. Hmm. Whereas if they go out, like you were, you know, think about cheerleading, that way um, they're with friends. Yeah, exactly. You know, as because that... Piano is a lonely sport. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you're, you know, like you're you're the only one playing it and learning exactly. it on your own and having lessons on your own, you know, exactly. unless you're lucky to, you know, maybe be in a group situation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, did you ever do group classes? I know some teachers do only group classes and some do them as like supplemental. Did you, did you ever hold like any kind of group classes? Or Not lessons? really a group. Uh, if a brother and sister or sisters or two boys, they come in together uh-huh. and want to start taking lessons, then I will do it as a group. Okay. But then after a while, I feel that it's better if you maybe do some individual right. with them. You right. have to work individually. A little bit of balance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just all class because, uh, well, my own children didn't think I knew enough about a piano, so they took from other a teacher yeah. <laughs> here in town. And she had them in group lessons. Well, they didn't have that much time to to play individually. Right. right. Yeah, during I do remember lesson. that. I think I had a friend that maybe took some lessons in that that group setting from that teacher. Speaking of your children, so when we talked on the phone, you told me a story. <laughs> do you remember that story? Can yes. you share that with, with the listeners? Because I think it just it makes me laugh. Okay. Well, 
I, I believe it was two of our children. Uh, they were in high school, mm-hmm. in the high school band. And they had a band contest to go to, and I had forgotten about it. And it was a Saturday morning, and I thought, I was in the car to take them, and then your mom brought you in for piano lessons. And I got to take my kids to school. They've got to be at the band. <laughs> and your mom says, I'll take them. And you can give my daughter piano lessons. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I said, that is exactly something that my mom would do. She's yes. like that kind of person that would be like, well, just let me take your kids to school. That's no problem. Yeah, and she did. She said, they'll have to tell me where to go. Yeah. But, yes. yeah. but it, it worked out, and I really thanked her for that. I'm yeah. not even... Yeah. <laughs> so growing up, I only lived, I think we were maybe three, maybe maybe five miles west of here. I mean, it's almost a straight shot to my childhood home. And when I first started piano lessons, like I said, I was seven. And you, you I think you remember this, that I didn't actually have a piano. I was one of those kids that my, my parents didn't want to buy a piano until they knew for sure right. that I was, you know, going to take to the piano, you know. Didn't you practice at your grandmother's? It, it was my neighbor's house. Your neighbor's house. Yes, okay, Pauline pra- Williamson. Okay. She was just a, okay. block, a block over. Yes. And she had, I don't know why I remember this, but she had a white piano. <laughs> it's one of those things, like silly things that stick in your mind, you know. Right. But I think my mom took me over there for months, if not almost a whole okay. entire year um, okay. before that. And she said, she had asked, she's like, I told Barb, does she have it? And you said, she has it. <laughs> And we you kept sure going. did. We kept going. <laughs> right. So, Barb, what is your absolute favorite thing about piano teaching? I think interacting with the kids. I just love the kids to come in here. And how are you today? And then talking to them. And I'm trying to make them feel comfortable. And then when that child gets that, aha, I understand now, that really makes me happy. Mm. Uh, that I've. I've got them, you know, just like I did with you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she's got yeah, it. She's got you know? it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the my most favorite thing. Oh, yeah, when they come in here, some of them are so scared. Some of them are so tiny, they can't even sit on the bench. And yeah. I just try to make them feel better. And I think that's my favorite thing, interacting with the kids. <laughs> now, have you... Um, done recitals i know we talked about that you did small recitals here in your house you still do that as well no i uh, well when then we went on to the church when i could get the church you know we Mm -hmm. had recitals in the church but since my numbers have dwindled there for a while for several years i took them to the nursing home and played for the nursing home residents i think that's a wonderful thing i've done that i don't do it every year with my students but I think it's just good for the kids to get out there and just to see that they yeah. can just just brighten someone's day. And- well, and then the residents too. When I have them, the kids play, you know, older songs that the residents would remember. They start singing. Yeah, and no, and that brings some cheer to them mm-hmm. also. So. And it's a good performance opportunity for the kids too, in kind of a, a low pressure setting. So, what about um, what's the most challenging thing you find as a piano teacher? <laughs> getting the children to practice. Just getting them to practice. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you've noticed that. I figured there was a 50-50 chance that was the answer. Oh, yes. Oh, getting them to practice. Some will practice. And I don't like to tattle on them. But sometimes I have to tell the parents they need to work a little bit harder. Yeah. They can do it, but... You know, don't just come in and say, um, oh, okay. Or sometimes I'll have them grade themselves. Mm-hmm. What grade would you give yourself for playing that piece? Um, it needs more work. I go, yeah, <laughs> I expect an A. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, and they know it. Yeah. 
you know. But I think, and then I, I will ask the student, do you want to take lessons or are you being forced to take lessons? Mm. That makes a big difference. It does. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And that, that's, no, telling, I, I get, that's telling to you, I mean, to just to be yeah. aware, you know, if right. if it's something that the parent is, you know, is, is having mm-hmm. the student do or if the student really, truly, you know, desires that themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have, I know we've talked about a few memories already of our time together. Is there any other little memories that you have recalled since we kind of have reconnected? I just know that you would come in and you'd sit down and you would just have a confidence about you. Mm. And I thought, okay, this is going to be great. You know, I can just <laughs> sit back and listen, you know. <laughs> that sounds about like me. Actually. Yes. <laughs> that is funny. If you could get the entire world of piano teachers together in one place and just say something heartfelt to all of them, what would it be? Just have fun with your kids. Give them a variety of songs and, and just have fun with them. I think that's the way I teach anyways, instead of... Good advice. Keep the fun in it. Yes, I think it is. When you're out and about, a lot of times you'll see somebody will come up and say, well, you were my piano teacher. And I'm kind of looking at them like, ah. (laughs) That's a good question, actually. Yeah. So because, I mean, you've taught so many kids. Yes. I I should have kept track of them, but I haven't. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet I've worked... Over 200 maybe. Oh, yeah. Something like that. And, uh, yes, and then they'll come back and they'll ask me to play for their weddings. Mm. Or, so, you know, that makes Aww. me feel good, too. You go into the hospital. I've got students that are nurses, doctors, pharmacists, and probably the one I remember the most is I have a former student who is now a Catholic priest. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, neat. So, and he still remembers me. In fact, we just did a mass together in May. Okay. Um, oh, but that was special. It was. It was very special. I'm close to his family too. So. Yeah. But no, he invited me to his ordination and everything. So yeah, I even gave lessons to some grandchildren. Okay. Yeah. Aww, so that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. So now we've got one great granddaughter, but she's only ten months old. So I'm giving her a piano for Christmas. Oh, a nice. little, a little, a a little, little, mini a little piano. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he goes home with her, you know. Yeah, yeah. Grandma makes sure she has music, right? <laughs> that's right. I'm gonna get her started. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. So, how many grandchildren do you have total then? Now we have eleven. Oh my! I've oh. got one married and four to be married in the next fourteen months. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. So, yes. Wow. Congratulations, Grandma. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Barb. It has been such a delight getting to catch up with you. Same here, Amy. (laughs) My next conversation is with my high school piano teacher, Kathy Grile. Kathy has a BA and MA in piano and organ performance from Ball State University. She recently retired from two different roles, 29 years of teaching piano pedagogy, piano and theory at Taylor University, where she coordinated the Center for Musical Development, and 44 years as the director of music at Eden Church in Muncie, Indiana. She currently teaches piano in her home in Royerton, Indiana, and is director of music at St. Andrew Presbyterian Church in Muncie. Would you be able to begin by telling our listeners a little about yourself and your background and how you came to where you are today as a piano teacher? 
Absolutely. I started out probably very young, like at the age of five, and I could watch my mother just perform, you know, professional music like Chopin Polonaise and, and just jazz music and, and hymns and, and doing a lot of harmonizing to these hymns. I didn't know all that, but I just looked at her and the way she played as a five-year-old and go, I want to play like that. Well, then after she was my teacher for several years, she decided she needed more expertise. I needed more expertise, too. And so she sent me to Catherine Beard, who actually studied at Juilliard School of Music. I was really taken back by her first because her demand of perfection and her her absolute opportunity for you to work hard uh, was challenging to me and I was bound and determined I was going to do that, especially scales that I didn't know how to do very well. But she inspired me all my years. And by the time I reached high school, I realized I really, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a piano teacher. And then she brought in Pia Sebastiani, an international concert woman pianist. It's like, wow, I want to play like her, you know. So that brought a whole new dimension to my life. And as a country girl growing up with not that kind of opportunity to see things like that, she opened my world. And she would come and visit in our little country studio, and she would critique us and tell us how to do this. So she inspired me to go to college and study with her for six years. And so from all of that, you can see that it was that kind of inspiration that really helped me get started to say, that's what I really want to do. That's my passion. I can't wait to do it. Now, Catherine Beard, she was from my hometown, if I remember correctly. Is that right? She actually was from New York and the New Jersey area at first. And in the uh, World War II, she met her husband there. Uh, well, she met him and they decided to get married and move to Portland, Indiana. So she was a classically trained student going to Juilliard School of Music who ended in Portland, Indiana, a very yeah. small little community. So she brought New York City life to our little town. <laughs> Do you even know what brought her to Portland? I mean, it's such a small town. Like, Well, he lived there. That's his hometown. Oh, he lived there. He, it was oh, his okay. hometown. Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And you lived in Portland as well. That's where you grew up? That's where I grew up. Yes, yes. Now, Catherine Beard, she wrote a method, didn't she? Or a book I wrote, series mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. you using with me yes. a little bit. Yes, it was a complete musical. She would write music to fit her students because she just felt at the time with the very limited pedagogical methods out there that she said, I can write better stuff because that was her specialty, music theory. So she okay. started writing all of her own books. They got published. She was writing uh, articles for the clavier at that time and really being highlighted and premiered as one of the top teachers in the country and she also was asked to teach over at Taylor University at one time and she said no I'm going to stay home with my studio and keep working here. So you studied with Catherine Beard all the way through high school yes. or did you say that you moved to, to Pia Sebastiani like in, in college or when was that transition happening? Uh, it happened in college. Pia would come to the studio and just uh, hold studio classes and we would play for it and then she would critique us. So I got to know her in high school and then we went on then. So what college then did you attend with her to study? Ball State University and went on to, I was a performance, a piano and organ performance major and went ahead and got my master's after I got my graduate. 
And did they have piano pedagogy back then or was it just piano performance was the degree? It was piano performance with a degree. There was no pedagogical courses offered except one, one semester. And so my senior year of college, I went back to Catherine Beard and I studied with her once a week and she would hold classes to help us learn how to do pedagogical things, studying different books, different things like that. So I actually went back to her to finish, start my training and how to become a piano teacher. And that's when I started, said, you know, surely there was a better way to do this <laughs> because yeah. there was no training back then. You don't, didn't have the variety of methods that you have now. You didn't have the variety of people out there. You didn't have any degrees at all in pedagogy. So we made up our own. <laughs> so where did you go from there then? Did you open your own studio after you finished your undergrad degree? Oh my gosh. Well, my first piano teaching job was at St. Lawrence Catholic School. And I love teaching group piano. So the nuns auditioned me and hired me to teach group piano in their their little school area. And so I would pull kids out of school. We would have little kids come together and we do the box and have a great deal of fun doing that. And then I also taught a few private lessons. And then my husband, in the meantime, remodeled this tiny little building next to our tiny little house. But it was a huge studio for me. So I opened up my own studio too. But I started out with 22 students at the St. Lawrence Catholic School. And then I started building my own studio with several children. I could hold the recitals in this building. So it's a perfect setup. But after 10 years with two kids and a tiny little house, we decided we were moving. So we moved out to the Roritan, Indiana area. And I found a house that they had decided to take the original garage and change it into a game room. And then they built a garage in front of it. And so I had a perfect studio set up because the kids could come into the garage area right into my studio. So a 24 by 20 area was turned into my piano studio. That's where I came to see you. That's where you <laughs> came to see me. And I, I'm still teaching in that area. And it's my room. It's my music room. So it's a great space. Yeah, yeah it's a great space. <laughs> he never got his man cave, but I've got my music room. So it was chock full. You mentioned um, when you first started teaching at the, the school, you, doing the box. Yes. So can you tell our listeners what the box is? Because I know what the box is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> The box was something created by Catherine Beard, and we used to have to make it by hand. We'd go out and buy these boxes, and on the top of the box, you would put your hands and you would number your fingers. You open up the inside of the box, and it's a keyboard with the letters on it, so you could do lots of games and fun things with theory. I call it the hands-on theory box, because when you have hands-on theory box, it's more fun. So, And then inside the bottom of the box was a way to count, so you made movable counting with quarter notes, half notes whole notes and so you put that in the box and and we just made up lots and lots of games that were fun then close the box up turn it upside down and we had put a staff on the bottom of it eventually a friend of ours uh that studied with Catherine Beard Lisa Worley patented the box and that was awesome because then it was all professionally done instead of being hand-drawn but for years when I taught pedagogy at Taylor University I made all the students make all the boxes you know so it's all before the world of apps right yes yes all that and 
And the box has traveled all over the world now because when it went out, then students used it and they could use it as a portable thing and every, all the students put their music in it. So no matter where they went in the world, you could use this adaptable hands-on theory box. So it's a, it was an awesome device. So you opened your studio and then I know that you, you know, you taught at Taylor University for quite a few years. Can you tell us kind of how you got into that and how that, that job opportunity came up? And That's an interesting story because when I first got married before children, I auditioned or I tried out for a teaching class piano at Taylor University and was rejected. I said, okay, oh. <laughs> fine. I'll just go back to my studio and teach piano. Oh. And at that point, I, I think I started directing choirs too. But um, as I evolved into my piano studio and the work and stuff, then Dr. Richard Parker from Taylor University, who was heading up the Center for Musical Development for um, Taylor University, where children come from the community and are taught at Taylor University by Taylor students, um, wanted to come over with his group of pedagogy students and say, hey, let's just watch her teach, kind of like like I've done with you before. <laughs> so yeah. uh, he saw me taught and he came back year after year. And finally, the, the opening came up uh, and they asked if I wanted to be the pedagogy teacher. And for me, it was just a lifelong dream. That was one of my dreams in college. I wanted to have uh, an opportunity to have a school of music. Well, kind of was a school of music. It was the Center for Musical Development, uh, working with college kids and passing on this love of teaching with children. That's that was just a passion. So we developed this. Um, well, it was already there, but I was able to take it and just help. Hopefully, a lot of people have grown from that. The teachers, as I said, then they go out into the world and go ahead and spread how to have a great time teaching children music. So. It's really wonderful because it's not usual to have any kind of a pedagogy class at an undergrad level. So it's a really unique offering that Taylor has. They do. I'm I'm glad they're still doing it. I'm glad they're trying to find another teacher to continue doing that. I did it for 29 years and decided that it was time to retire from that. So yeah, and tell us you're now at retired. So yeah. how are you enjoying your retirement? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> the number one thing is I finally get a chance to practice. And I've just really enjoyed it. When COVID struck, we were, you know, having to reinvent ourselves practically too. So I, that was really a great opportunity to finally say, Kathy, sit down and practice. And I, I just love it. It's like, wow. For one thing, you find out, well, I can still do things again. So I, I like that opportunity. And then I think I'll speak later on about the fact that I didn't ever figure out that I was going to get into technology like I did. Because at Taylor, yeah. I was very much not into technology. And I felt I needed the younger group like you and other colleagues to say, you know, bring this up in technology. But when COVID struck, I found out, oh, I can do this. So <laughs> it was an eye opener at that point. So not sure that I've retired from music at all. I don't think you ever will retire from music. But I love the opportunity to have more freedom to, to not to be so scheduled. Yeah, for sure. And spending time with your grandkids, um, right? I have three <laughs> grandkids I love and, and our daughter, she's she lives out in New York City. So I visit her or she comes back and visits. And so having some time to travel would, will be nice because my husband just retired. So we have we're still working all that out. But and your studio at your at your home, are you still running that? I'm not running it full time. I have just a few students and I'm trying to keep the students that are really, really interested in practicing. I mean, it is a very busy world out there. Yes, I want to take piano lessons, but 
how much do you really want to take it and how much are you supported at home? I mean, I can be a little pickier now. What's your favorite thing about piano teaching? I kind of thought about that a lot. And I think that what I really want to do is help that student really learn how to make beautiful music. And that really involves their whole body. It involves that they understand that it's just not playing notes. It's not clunk, clunk, clunk. It's playing music. And how do you do that? And the best way to do that is to help them to learn to listen. What are you producing when you're playing that music? Are you, are you understanding that you are an orchestra and that you have to choreograph everything that you're doing, that you're actually a dancer, and that you have to become one with the music in order to make it become as musical as possible? And as a, from the very get-go, the, the child doesn't understand all that unless they are totally a genius at this. But most of the time, that's what you're creating. You want them to make beautiful music. So from the very beginning years when, when the music's, you know, a little bit, I'm going to call a little clunkier than you like. But then when you see them all of a sudden evolve and then they start listening, they start making music. That's what I want to do. What's something that you find most challenging as a piano teacher? Ah, that's an easy one. The students that are just, they're just so busy and trying to help them understand that this is just as important to practice at home as it is to go to any kind of sports practice or any kind of dance practice or anything. This is as important. And I think the more important thing is the involvement of the parents, trying to make sure that they really are involved with that child to the point that they're helping them start learning how to practice on their own, but they need so much reinforcement at the very beginning and just making sure that the sound at home is the correct sound. So that's challenging. And kids are so busy today. I just would like for them to be able to pull themselves together with parents and make that music even more beautiful. I think getting them to the point where around sixth and seventh grade, the parents are not as involved anymore. They've got to be practicing on their own. And then you see some great results because the child says, I want to do it. What is one way that you've seen your studio or teaching evolve over the years? Integrating technology into my piano teaching. That definitely was. That's a good one. That, that, that has always been something I love. From the get-go, I really wanted to have keyboards in my piano studio because I love all that extra sounds that you can get, but it was more, I used those more for like playing ensemble work and stuff, you know, multiple keyboards, turn on different sounds, let's have some fun with the music, let's play our scales together, let's play these duets together, so that, but then when technology got even uh, more involved into things, even like online teaching and learning how to do that was definitely a huge challenge for me. But with lots of help from younger teachers like yourself and Carly Walton, yeah, yeah, you know, her, her information was phenomenal. I found that I could do it and I loved it. It was like, whoa, this is really wonderful. And so we're still using it today. If a student can't make it at the lesson at my house, can we make it at your house? Absolutely. So I'm not losing anything. I'm not losing anything that way. So I was very fearful of that, very fearful of that for a while. And now I'm not. Isn't that a great feeling? Yeah, it's like <laughs> I've got the rest of my life to get better at it. So I think that evolving has really helped me say, wow, I can keep doing this for a long time. But I think we as teachers, no matter how old we are, we have to keep learning. We should keep playing. We should keep 
performing. So, and that keeps us in relationship with what the student is going through. Even when we're fearful of getting up and performing, which I still do, I understand that with the student themselves. So being able to have that empathy and, and, and understanding. Yeah. So it's easy to forget. Yes. I'm just so glad that I didn't give up that I kept trying I still have more ideas to come through to go ahead with my life. I always tell my college students before I said, you go through college for four years and you're going, okay, I've got all these ideas and all these dreams. And I said, it's going to take you a long time, maybe a lifetime to evolve all those dreams, but let's go on from there. So when I retired, it's like, I think I fulfilled all my dreams. What am I going to do now? But look, it's happening. So it's exciting. Wonderful. (laughs) Do you have any little memories or stories that you can share (laughs) of our time together and be nice? (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I really remember about you, I mean, you came in and you just were a fireball. You just really (laughs) wanted to play the piano very well. And you had skills and then you had some that were not so good. So we had to start... (laughs) all over probably with scales. I don't exactly remember, but most students come in and their scales and their chords and their arpeggio routines are just not up to snuff. So we really have, we had to work on that hard. But my memory of you is for your senior recital, I played the prelude in G minor by Rachmaninoff and you immediately fell in love with it. And as a teacher, I go, this is probably beyond what she can do but I'm going to show it to her anyway and you know as a teacher you're kind of going I think she can do it maybe not but you you took a hold of that and after we got started I kept thinking oh dear maybe maybe this wasn't a great idea maybe I'm a terrible teacher because I have given this very difficult piece to her but you said, no, I am going to learn this. And you did. I was never so proud of anyone as much as I was when you did your senior recital and you pulled that off. It was fantastic. So I love (laughs) your, you know, you just won't give up. I'm going to work harder on this. I'm going to play this. That was wonderful. I don't remember any other songs that I did for that recital except for that one. Yeah, that was a great, (laughs) great. It it turned out that I was right. So (laughs) And I understand that feeling now as a teacher myself. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, you want to give them that challenge, but you want to make sure that it's also achievable yes, for them. Yes. <laughs> but you oh, funny. the occasion. And I'm going, yes. <laughs> and I remember that feeling like just even at school, like I wanted to be that person that could like sit down and play and wow everybody, you know, and that, that song wowed everybody. That song wowed everybody. <laughs> and I'm afraid that's part of my personality too. I want to wow people yeah. with this beautiful music. I didn't write it, but I would like to reproduce it for you to hear. So, And I do remember that about you. Like I remember coming to you and knowing that there were deficiencies and you pushed me. I mean, I remember like going through the ringer. <laughs> All right. So the final question today is kind of a big one. If you could get the entire world of piano teachers together as your audience in one place and make one statement or one plea to them or one bit of advice, what would that be? Well, two weeks ago, one of my little precious students came in and they drew me this picture. And on the side, it says, I love with a heart, Miss Kathy, music and the piano. And it also says music is the best. If I can tell anybody anything, that's what I want to incorporate in a child, in any kind of students that I'm teaching. If I can in some way instill into them an opportunity for them to really understand music and go away loving it and saying, 
I love music. I love the piano. And loving the teacher is good too. But that opportunity takes a lot of thinking on your own life, how you're going to treat these students, patients, always thinking about what they need. Every student is different. Look at them as individuals. Try to fill their needs with your music. So when they get out in the world, they can use it for whatever purpose. So my hope for you is that you get a chance to have someone tell you that they love music because you helped them do it. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Kathy. It's been such a treat getting to catch up with you and getting to share my piano teacher with all my listeners. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad to do it. I hope that we all get a chance to just continue sharing music wherever we go at any age. <laughs> My final conversation today is with Dr. Lori Roden, who I studied with when working on my master's degree at Ball State University. Dr. Roden is professor of piano and coordinator of group piano and piano pedagogy at Ball State. She holds a DMA in piano pedagogy and performance from the University of South Carolina. Her research interests include sight reading and performance pedagogy. Well, welcome to the Piano Pantry Podcast, Dr. Roden. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm really thrilled to get this chance to catch up with you. I never know. Do I call you Dr. Roden or do I call you Lori? Sometimes I call you Lori and sometimes I say Dr. Roden. I think you can call me whatever you're comfortable <laughs> with and you can switch it back and forth even if you want. Oh, I think even when someone's your teacher, they're always like forever your teacher, you know, so you'll always forever be Dr. Roden, but still. Happy, happy to be Dr. Roden or Lori. Why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are today in your career? Sure. I grew up in a family that had a fair amount of music in it. My mother was an amateur singer, and my sister, who was three years older than me, was already taking piano lessons. So it seemed like that there was always a lot of music. We were involved in our children's choirs at church, and Pretty much the earliest I remember is that my older sister was taking piano and I decided I wanted to take piano lessons. So I, I started piano at age seven and I seemed to really take to it right away and then um, started playing the flute in, I think it was either fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade, uh, somewhere along then. I, I started playing the flute and got in the band and was in the choirs at school. So music was kind of always a part of my my background, but I didn't start out intending to be a piano professor. I always felt that I wanted to be a university professor. And my mom told me that when I was uh, a child, I told her I was going to be a music teacher when I grew up. But I was heavily involved with band and choir at school. And um, I was always kind of a take charge kind of person and uh, leader type. So I guess that made me gravitate towards being a conductor. So my undergraduate degree is in instrumental music education. And uh, my first job, I was the middle school band director. So most, most piano teachers didn't kind of start out that way. And, um, but after three years of being a middle school piano teacher, I missed the piano too much. And so then I turned my direction or my intentions back to, to piano and um, had the opportunity to get my master's degree and my doctorate and um, have been really fortunate to have had college teaching positions at three different institutions since then. You probably had told me that before that you used to be a band director like at first, but I was kind of the same way. Like I started my career in music education and 
did the choir director thing for three years in middle schools and high schools and then went on to do the piano teaching thing. So I didn't realize that we had that in common. <laughs> well, and I think that that instrumental music education degree or, or any music education degree, whatever the emphasis is, I think it really is incredibly informative in all teaching, um, in in all music teaching, and, and certainly has informed all of my piano teaching as a result, too. So what do you think it was that really drew you into the piano teaching and out of the band? I mean, was there something, I don't know, like what was it that, that made you decide I'm going to be a piano teacher now? I think part of it was that I just missed playing the piano and I, I missed, um, you know, having that opportunity to make that more of a focus. The other thing is that I really felt like at the time that I left my middle school job that I, I really wanted to consider the possibility of teaching in a Christian college, teaching piano or teaching music. And I also considered the possibility of taking a position as a church music minister. So I decided to pursue my master's degree at Southern Baptist Seminary with uh, the opportunity to study piano with Maurice Henson. And I knew that that would prepare me for both teaching in a Christian college, but also if I made the decision to become a minister of music in a church, especially at the time since I was an instrumental per, or an instrumental music educator, I could see myself uh, working primarily in the instrumental side of a, a church music position. So I knew both of those options interested me. And um, I was really fortunate when I finished that degree that I got an offer to teach at William Carey College, which is a small Christian college in Mississippi. And uh, most of, uh, well, I did a lot of different things because of my background. I, I taught piano. I also taught music, all of the music methods courses for the instrumental music ed program, um, some of the music education courses. So I was kind of putting a blend together of those things and doing a lot of different things. And I just decided at that point that it was time to uh, bring my focus back to piano and uh, that's what I really wanted to concentrate on. So what's your favorite thing about piano teaching? Well, I think as a, a huge extrovert that just the opportunity to interact with students on a daily basis is my most favorite thing. And if I get to combine teaching and working with people with my love of music, it's like the best of both worlds, being able to to watch students grow especially and to see see the light bulb moment. I, I think back to when I was um, doing my internship for my undergraduate degree, I was working with a high school band in South Florida. And I was also teaching in a theory class there, assisting the, the teacher there in teaching theory. And there was a young man named Brad, I can still remember him, and he was struggling with some of the theory concepts. Uh, I was, we were working hard to help him understand that. And I, I remember that one day he came into the band office, slammed his books down on the counter and said, I got it. <laughs> and um, so we had the opportunity to celebrate that he'd had a light bulb moment of understanding some of those theory concepts that had eluded him up until that point. And this opportunity to watch students be successful and to learn and grow um, this is one of the things that I enjoy the most about teaching. For sure. I remember one of my undergraduate teachers in the early days of my, you know, first days of college saying that, you know, being a music major means that you never have to do a job, <laughs> that you always get to do something that you love because you get to make music a part of your life and a part of your profession. 
Um, and just right. and it, impacting students just makes it even all the more better. Yes. And actually this week I, in several lessons, I just sat back and listened. Our students were, my students were preparing for our, our piano studio recital this week and for their juries. And, and I just listened to them play and I just sat there and marveled at how much they had grown this semester. And it was just so nice to sit back and just enjoy their music and to think, wow, I get to do this for a living. This is just pure joy. What is one book or resource that you have had impact your own teaching um, or in that you've seen impact um, other teachers that you've worked with in your pedagogy program over the years? I did my doctorate at the University of South Carolina. I was in the last class of pedagogy majors that studied with Max Camp before he developed an illness and had to retire and then eventually passed away. And one of the things that Dr. Camp brought into my teaching life was a concept of leveling elementary stages. He, I'm not aware of another system like this that, that specifically targets the elementary level. And when I really began to understand this and began to incorporate it in my teaching, I found that it had so many applications in so many areas, first of all, to make sure that I knew what it was that I wanted to teach, irrespective of any method book or any any supplementary material. I knew what, what my concepts and skills, goals and objectives were that I wanted to teach. And that made it then possible for me to help develop students from the ground up to help those who need remediation, who need to go back and work on especially their reading process. Um, it helped me evaluate materials more effectively and just felt gave me a sense that I had uh, a real understanding of what we might call a curriculum. So this was detailed or outlined in his book called Teaching Piano, The Synthesis of Mind, Ear, and Body. And, and that philosophy probably has helped me more than anything else. Yes, I am still in my office and teaching does go on here. And people trying to reach me for something. I do remember that book. Um, and I still have that book. And I'll try to find a link um, online that we can post in the show notes for reader or for listeners, not readers, <laughs> for listeners if they want to check out that book. What is something that you find the most challenging as a piano teacher? Well, one of the wonderful things about being a teacher is that every student is different. Every class is different, every year is different, every, everything that we're doing is different, but that can also be a challenge because sometimes it's difficult to um, know exactly what a student needs um, or to be um, using things, methodologies, tools, et cetera, that, that you know have been successful and it's still not really working with this particular student. So um, I think that uh, trying to help students who, who appear to be struggling, even though they're trying, um, that, that's, that can be a little bit of frustrating, a little bit of a frustrating experience because I just really want to help them. And, and sometimes, you know, the other thing that's happening right now is it seems like so many students are struggling with so many things outside of, um, of the, the piano lesson. They're they're having so much to deal with in the world, and and it's it's heartbreaking, really, to sometimes to to see those students and and to wish that I could fix those other things that are influencing them. For sure. And I remember when I was with you, one phrase 
and I've alluded to this phrase before, maybe even on this podcast, you always would say to me, we're like doctors, Amy. <laughs> we have to like assess what's going on with the patient and then, you know, figure out how to help them from there, you know, and like whether it's technical issues or whatever it may be. So that's one phrase that I've always taken from you in my own teaching in life. Great. Glad to know <laughs> that was helpful for you. So what is one way that you've seen your own studio or maybe even teaching evolve over the years of your career? Well, I teach students of all levels. Um, I've had students as young as five and students in their 80s. And so I, I really enjoy teaching students of all levels. At the university here, I've taught all, all of our, our bachelor, master's and, and doctoral level students. But in general, most of my teaching is more towards the undergrad population. And I guess in terms of evolving or, or, you know, as I've watched my studio change, I'd like to think that I've gotten better at really diagnosing what their problems are. But, and we're talking, of course, pianistic and musical problems here. But I, I, I feel like I have a whole lot better understanding when I'm listening to somebody play, when I'm watching them play, of what I think is happening there and, and how I can help them. That's great. Do you happen to have any little memories or stories that you remember from our time together when I was with you at Ball State? And be nice. Well, <laughs> well uh, first of all, let me say that uh, in, in thinking about this question, the thing that came to mind first is that you were always just a ray of sunshine. Oh, that's um, so sweet. Just like you are now, just, just, you know, always such a bright, happy smile and, and bouncy personality coming into my studio and bringing joy to me during the day. Oh. I, I think that um, academically things that I remember about you is, is just your great energy and your enthusiasm, your excitement for learning um, you certainly made excellent progress as a pianist, and I really enjoyed watching you grow in that area, as well as watching you teach in the piano pedagogy classes. Um, so I, yeah, it's it's so in, it's it's um, maybe the word is almost infective for a teacher that that when you have a student who really wants to learn, it's like it energizes you as a teacher to want to teach and to want to do your very best to give them as much as you can. So I always felt that about you. And of course, I have to bring up the um, the semester studio parties that we used to have, oh, yeah. and especially the one studio party um, where you were sick and you had lost your voice and we were trying to play <laughs> play Pit, oh, which gosh. is a game that, that uh, it's a card game that depends on sort of an assertive um, talking in, in terms of trading, like trading commodities. And, and I'll never forget you trying to trade your commodities, you know, like, <laughs> you know, barely being able to whisper. So that, that was one of those fun studio party nights that stuck into my I can picture the whole scene. I remember that, but I had forgotten that I had lost my voice when you, as soon as you said that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So if you could get the entire world of piano teachers together as your audience in one place and make one statement to them or one plea, like what bit of advice or plea would you put forth to the piano pedagogy world? Well, first of all, this is a daunting question. <laughs> I know, very. Because I would want to sit at the feet of each of these piano teachers and let them teach me because um, 
certainly there is a tremendous wealth of experience, especially among independent teachers who are, are shall we say, in the trenches every day and just, just have so much experience and so many wonderful um, wonderful ideas. So I guess maybe the first thing that I would say to them is thank you. Thank you for being um, a teacher, for giving to all of us, because all of us who are piano teachers, somebody taught us at one point. And I, I think about my dear piano teachers that I had over the years and, and how they just helped me love music and just helped me grow and develop. And it was always such a joy to go and be with these teachers. So I guess that's the first thing that I would say. Um, I also think I would I would like to encourage every teacher, as I do with myself too, to continue to grow and learn yourself. Because um, as soon as any of us thinks that we have arrived or that we know everything about everything or the the absolute only way to do something, I think that's the point at which we can not be as effective of a teacher as we might have once been. Um, there are so many, so many great things to learn. And now we have, especially with the advent of, of availability through the technology that we have now, there are just so many things that we can learn from each other. So I guess I would just encourage every teacher to keep an open mind about different ways to teach things and different different things to teach and uh, be willing to learn and be willing to adapt and change because all of us can continue to come back become better teachers every day and that's that's what i try to do try my best um, every every day every semester every student to just try to be a better teacher than i was the day before absolutely it's remembering our abcs always be curious right <laughs> That's a great, great way to remember yeah. it, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Lori. I have enjoyed catching up with you and sharing you with all my listeners. Well, thank you so much. And let me say before we leave that uh, all of us at Ball State University are very proud of you as one, <laughs> of our, one of our graduates. And it's been just such a pleasure to watch your, um, your entry into the, the profession and everything that you're doing, including this podcast and and your blog and just all the ways in which you're being a teacher, not only to your students, but also to other teachers. So um, we're really proud of you. And it's, it's my pleasure to get this opportunity to speak with you. Thanks so much for listening in today. I hope hearing me connect with my piano teachers has warmed your heart and helped conjure up many, hopefully happy memories of your own. Well, folks, that's a wrap for 2022. It has been such a pleasure serving you over this past year. I hope you have been touched, inspired, and encouraged listening in, whether it was a small handful of episodes or all of them. Since we are in a season of giving, it would mean a lot if you could take a brief moment to jump into Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to rate and review the show. As I plan for the next season, I would love to hear more from you. What is it you especially love and have found helpful? Is there anything you would like to hear more of? If you feel more comfortable sending me a voicemail, you can do so through the link in the show notes. I might even feature your voicemail message sometime. If you're unsure how to leave a rating and review for the podcast, visit pianopantry.com forward slash podcast for a few screenshots that will walk you through the process. Easy peasy. 
I'm Amy Chaplin from PianoPantry.com, and you've been listening to the Piano Pantry Podcast. See you next year.